chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Anytime we consider Matthew's gospel, we have to keep in the, in the back of our mind that the purpose of Matthew in writing his gospel account was to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah. And so Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, an audience that knew the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the coming Savior. He was looking forward to people that were, were looking forward to the Messiah's coming. Uh, they were well-educated in the scriptures and knowing what to look for in recognizing, in, uh, recognizing his coming. And in the particular verses before us, Matthew is proving the legitimacy of Jesus' birth, as well as the fact that as Joseph's son, he is the legal descendant of David's royal, royal throne, of David's royal house. In our day and age, it's sad, but it's not uncommon for children to be conceived and born outside of wedlock. It's a travesty that so many people cannot keep themselves sexually pure, as God's word commands. And uh, from statistics that are out there, often the church is no different than the world in the area of sexual purity. And it used to be the rule rather than the exception that two people would get married before they lived together. Of course, that's God's design. That's his will for men and women. His will is for children to be born into a family where the husband and wife are committed to each other through the vows of marriage. His will, is, his will is that there would be a family structure built upon the principles of holiness and righteousness. Uh, the will of God is summarized um, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 in this way, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but, to, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Anything less than this holy standard is sin. 
Anything less than this takes away from God's design for the family. And in the history before us, Joseph was convinced that Mary had fallen into such sin and had broken vows, vows made to him before God and before men. We don't typically pay all that much attention to Joseph in the Christmas story. And part of the reason, I think, must be that, as with all pregnancies, the woman really is at the center of attention. And part of the reason certainly must be that Mary does have a more important role in the Christmas story than Joseph. I mean, after all, she actually carried Jesus in her womb. She was, in that way, the human instrument in the Lord's work of the Son of God becoming flesh. And so we're not surprised that Scripture would tell us more about Mary than it does about Joseph. And yet, as important of a place as Mary has in this whole event of the incarnation of God, yet Joseph has his own place and his own task in the history of the revelation of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is what we are going to consider this morning under the theme, Jesus, son of Joseph. We're going to consider Joseph's righteousness, his faith, and his example. When we consider what scripture tells us about Joseph, we are led to believe that Joseph was a very godly man. And it's only appropriate that Jesus' stepfather would be such a man. There's rarely a godly son that doesn't have a godly father. And the text tells us of Joseph's godliness, uh, both indirectly and directly. The text tells us in verse 19 that Joseph was a just man, literally a righteous man, which places him on par with the likes of such as Zacharias and Elizabeth, whom scripture tells us were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. The description of Joseph as righteous places him also in the same category as godly Simeon, whom scripture describes as just, or as the ESV this time translates it, righteous and devout. And when we are told directly that Joseph is just or righteous, we are to understand that this is not what he was in and of himself. This is what he was by the work of God, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was a man of faith, for the only way to be justified, to be righteous in the sight of God, is by faith. But he was also known to be just, known to be righteous, because he did have a heart love for God, desired to live a holy life. And this is manifest in our text here. We see his godly concern. We see his concern for God's glory in his concern over Mary's pregnancy. Any godly man in Joseph's shoes would be upset to learn what he learned about Mary. Now, in Joseph's day, the system of engagement and marriage was somewhat different than ours. You maybe are confused by some of the different terms that are used here in our text. And I'd point out that in that day and age, there was really nothing equivalent to what we would call engagement. Today, when a couple is engaged, they're not considered married. In Joseph's day, for him and Mary to be engaged or betrothed meant that they were actually married. We might say married stage one um, out of two stages. They had actually, by being betrothed, had stood before witnesses. They had made vows of marriage to one another. Nevertheless, they weren't married in the absolute fullest sense of the word. They had not yet 
begun to live together. According to Jewish tradition, there was to be a period of time between the betrothal and the marriage feast and the marriage ceremony, after which the bride would finally be brought to the bridegroom's home. Though Mary and Joseph had not yet had that marriage feast, had not yet begun to live together, yet in a legal sense, they were already married. And it is this Jewish system of marriage that explains how being only betrothed or engaged, Joseph is nevertheless said in verse 19 to be Mary's husband, and Mary in verse 20 is said to be Joseph's wife. Knowing what commitment Joseph and Mary have made to each other enables us to understand the grief that Joseph felt in finding out that Mary was pregnant. The history before us makes it abundantly clear what a godly man Joseph is. He knew that Mary's child was not his because he knew he had not been sexually intimate with Mary. He had conducted himself uprightly and he knew it. And the result is that as a godly man, he does not wish any longer to continue his relationship with Mary, whom he believes has fallen into a, has fallen into a grievous sin and has been terribly unfaithful. It's another evidence of his godliness. He has no desire to live with a woman with weak moral principles. He has no desire to continue a relationship with a woman who blatantly breaks God's law. Now, it's possible that Joseph could have a, a bad attitude in all of this, but there's nothing to suggest here that Joseph's proud or that he thinks he's perfect. But in this case, he is right to, to expect more of his betrothed wife and to want a wife who has strong standards morally and spiritually. And Mary has failed, at least that's what he thinks. What else should he think under such circumstances? And so Joseph struggled about what to do. Um, verse 20 tells us that he considered or he thought about these things. He was mulling over the situation and we see clear evidence in the text that Joseph still loves Mary. And yet he can't bring himself to just ignore what has happened. Now, having made up his mind to end the relationship, there were two options, as we understand it, that Joseph had. The first was to bring a lawsuit against Mary. He could have publicly charged her with adultery and in that way made her pay the consequences. And the, the consequences might have included death although we have reason to believe that already for some time in Israel, people were not executed anymore for adultery. But even so, Joseph could have left her to the justice of the court. The other option before him was to simply give her a letter or certificate of divorce. And in such letters, it wasn't even necessary to state the reason for the divorce. And this more mild, merciful approach was what Joseph chose. Clearly, he loved her. The text says he was unwilling to put her to shame. Um, he was resolved to divorce her quietly. So he didn't want revenge on Mary, but he did want her out of his life. And Joseph had already worked out in his mind the solution as how to end his relationship with Mary when an angel appeared to him in a dream. Apparently, Joseph was there in bed tossing and turning in a restless sleep when the angel spoke to him in a dream, telling him what his task, what his role would be in the Christmas story. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And when Joseph awoke, he knew that he had been visited by an angel of the Lord. He knew that this was not just some ordinary dream, like like the dreams that we have, but God had revealed his will to him. God had spoken. And what did he learn? Well, he learned that Mary had not been unfaithful, that Mary was pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he must know that so that he will take her to himself as his wife. And this was important because the Christ child must have an earthly father to legitimize his birth. And Joseph must be the father in order to name the child as his own. And Joseph is qualified to do these things because Joseph is a son of David. And notice how the angel addresses Joseph and makes this very point. Joseph, son of David. That's very important. It was a well-known fact from the Old Testament that the Messiah would be of David's line. And so think of it, Matthew is reporting this to the Jewish people, the angel declaring, Joseph, son of David. Luke, in his account of the Christmas story, makes clear that Mary was also of David's line because it was absolutely necessary in fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus actually be of the flesh and blood of David's line. And so being born of Mary, Jesus was related genetically to David. But it's also important that Jesus legally carry the name of David, that he legally be a male descendant of David. And it is for that reason that he must be Joseph's son. And that's the point that Matthew is trying to prove to his Jewish audience. Jesus had David's name as well as being an actual bloodline relative. And so from every point of view, Jesus was the promised son of David. He had the credentials, you see, required of the Messiah. And we speak with admiration about Mary and her submissive obedience to the Lord's will for her life. Remember who who said to the angel upon learning her role in the Christmas story, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was obedient immediately, but notice Joseph is also obedient. He shows himself to be a true spiritual descendant of David, a man of faith. For scripture tells us when Joseph woke from sleep, he did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph took God at his word. He immediately stepped into the role that God had for him. Without delay, he made the preparations necessary to take Mary to himself as his wife in the fullest sense of that word. And this you understand, wasn't only for Mary's sake to protect her against slander, but it was most of all for the sake of the name of the Christ. The glory of God was at stake. And this is why Joseph must be Jesus' father. Of course, not his biological father. Jesus had no biological father. He was conceived through the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and yet Joseph would be Jesus' provider. He would be his legal head. He, for the name of the child, must be without blemish. There must be no hint of illegitimacy, no hint of any kind of impurity. The, the Messiah must be legitimately born into a family, not a child born out of wedlock with no name and place of his own, but he must be known as the son of Joseph of Nazareth, a legal son of David. And this task, Joseph willingly and without hesitation took upon himself. 
Think of the faith involved in this. Joseph believed this idea of the virgin birth. Think of it. He believed that Mary was pure, even though no other time in all of history had it happened that a woman became pregnant without a man. But God had told him that this was the case with Mary, and Joseph believed God. He believed what it seemed impossible to believe. That's faith. Jesus had to be born, you understand, of a virgin, because not only was his virgin birth prophesied, but also such a birth had to take place for Jesus to be sinless. This was necessary in order for him to be our savior from sin. And notice how Matthew brings to our attention um, this idea of the virgin birth being clearly grounded in the prophecy of the Old Testament. This unique birth of the Messiah was foretold in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Read that earlier. This is the verse quoted by Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's only really through the virgin birth that God could be with us, coming down to our level, making himself one with us. If Jesus was born in any other way, he couldn't have remained God, for God is without sin. He is absolutely righteous and holy. He can't fellowship with darkness. He, he could not have taken to himself a depraved human nature, and yet that's what is always produced from the union of sinful men and women. Jesus will later say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The scripture also tells us that all who are born in Adam share in his sin, which is why Jesus had to be born differently. He wasn't born with the human father, and it's in that way that Jesus could become man without becoming sinful in the process. And he had to be without sin if he was to be our savior. He had to be perfect because we are not perfect. And in fact, it's because we are not perfect. That's why he came. He came as one of us in order to die in our place. And he came here to die because it is death that we deserve for our sins. And so scripture tells us that Christ became sin for us. That is, he took our sins upon himself, took responsibility for our sins in such a way that those sins became his before the justice of God. And he was punished on the cross for them. But in order for him to take away our sin, to do away with our sins, he himself has to be without sin. Also, he had to be without sin in order for him to be obedient for us, to earn for us the rewards of the law. So there's really two reasons why he had to be sinless. First, as, as we think of his atoning death on the cross, he had to be a lamb without blemish in order to atone for our sins, but he also had to be sinless to be our law keeper, to be our second Adam, fulfilling the law perfectly for us. And so to be a sinless man, he had to be born in a different way than we are. For we who are born in sin, all we can do is increase our debt day by day. But being born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was born without sin and was thus able by his obedience and death to atone for our for uh, our sins, uh, to, to save his people, to earn our salvation. In order to protect this truth, which is at the very heart of our hope of salvation, the text does not allow us for even one moment to doubt the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. 
As soon as scripture tells us that Mary was found with child, it immediately adds, from the Holy Spirit. And then the text makes abundantly clear that Joseph had nothing to do with her pregnancy. Proof of this is the conviction that he has at first that she's been with some other man, which is why he wants to divorce her. But then God reveals the truth. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And though Jesus is not Joseph's biological son, Joseph is to take the role of his father, and Joseph complies. And then what we have in verse 25 tells us even further, offers further proof of Jesus' divine origin. Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And so even after Joseph had brought Mary home with him, he still did not have sexual relations with her. Why? Well, the answer must be related to the fact that Joseph knew who this baby was that Mary was carrying. He knew he was the Messiah. Joseph was told to name this baby Jesus, which means Jehovah Salvation. That name itself, a name chosen by God, tells us who this baby that Mary is carrying is. Through that name given to him ahead of time, it was prophesied to Joseph that Jesus, this baby in Mary, was Jehovah himself come to save his people. And Joseph, believing that Jesus' name was a revelation of who he was, believing that Jesus was conceived in this miraculous way, Joseph knew without any doubt that this baby was the Messiah, that this was God come to save them. With all of this in mind, I think we can safely say that Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary during her pregnancy because he stood in awe of the mighty work that God was doing that was taking place in Mary. Joseph has great reverence for the holiness of the Lord, and he understands that Mary is serving the Lord in a very special way. He will not in any way interfere. He will not cast doubt on Jesus' divine origin by in any way making it even appear that Jesus might have been born by the will or power of man. We also would recognize that that, um, as a believer, Joseph would have been familiar with Isaiah 7.14, where it says, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A virgin, not just in conception, but a virgin bearing a son. She was to be a virgin even at the time of his birth, according to prophecy. But whatever Joseph's exact thinking, the result of his abstention is that we have even further proof that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There's not even the possibility that Joseph was Jesus' biological father. That's how carefully and clearly Scripture guards the truth that Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. This is an important truth as far as God is concerned, so important that proof upon proof is piled one upon the other. And so we know that Joseph acted the way he did because he believed God. He was a man of faith. And because he understood something of what God was doing, he understood something of who this child was. He certainly didn't understand things to the degree that we do today with the full revelation of Scripture. But he understood this child was the Messiah. And in obedience to the angel, he names Mary's child, his adopted child, Jesus. To name Jesus was a clear declaration in that society that Joseph was claiming Jesus as his son. It was the father's task to name the son. And so in naming him, Joseph was expressing 
his receiving of Jesus in love as his son, and he was declaring Jesus to be a legal descendant of David. And of course, by the name Jesus, he was also declaring who his son was by God's own design. He was and is Jehovah's salvation. Let us this Christmas season follow the example of Joseph. He was a man who took God at his word. Not only what he tells us regarding his son, but everything he tells us in his word. As difficult as it can sometimes be to understand God's ways, you ought to, like Joseph, believe God without hesitation, without doubt. Is the virgin birth perhaps hard for you to believe? Many churches today think that the virgin birth is a legend, that it's a myth. In fact, part of the reason that the OPC exists today is because the Presbyterian Church USA back in the 30s had ministers, accepted men into the office of minister, and, and, and missionaries were being sent out, ordained missionaries who openly did not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. For many, it's hard to believe that something like that could be true, but it was not difficult for Joseph. One moment he distrusted Mary, the next he took her to himself knowing that she was pure. He was also told to give this child the name Jesus, and Joseph did because he believed the child in Mary was worthy of that name. Do you believe these things? Do you believe that that child born of Mary was and is Jehovah salvation? Do you believe that God became incarnate so that we say correctly of Jesus, God with us? Surely Joseph rejoiced when he found out that Mary was faithful after all. I dare say he rejoiced more to know that God was saving them. That the promise of the Messiah was being fulfilled. The Messiah was come. And what an amazing thing it is that God would become one of us in order to save us. And we never tired of hearing this story because it is at the very heart of the gospel. This, this miracle of the incarnation, yeah, we cannot fully comprehend it. This, this, this truth that Jesus is both God and man fully God, fully man, in one person. We cannot fully comprehend that. And yet what is most amazing of all is the purpose behind it of God saving undeserving sinners like you and me. The grace behind this event is what most of all causes us to bow our hearts in awe and reverence before God. And looking back over this history, it's true that in some ways Joseph is a fringe player in the Christmas story. There are others that stand out more, but of course, who is to stand out all the most, most of all, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be at the center of attention, not Joseph, not Mary, not the wise men or the angels or the shepherds. All of them, yes, including Joseph, existed for the glory of Christ. And it's true that Joseph played an important role, but his role was really to tell us who Christ is. We must know that Christ is born of the Virgin Mary without any hint of illegitimacy. We must know that Jesus is the legal descendant of David. We must know that he is Jehovah, come to save his people from their sins. And because of what scripture records about Joseph, we know all of these things about Jesus. Joseph's son 
is our Savior. And may the title of this morning's message stick with you as a reminder this Christmas season of the mystery of this one who is our Savior, Jesus, son of Joseph. Jesus highlights that he is Jehovah's salvation, that he is God himself come down to save us from our sins. As the son of Joseph, Jesus was a man, is a man, the promised son of David, who as such could be our substitute. So Jesus, son of Joseph, he is exactly the savior that was promised and the one that we need. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the people that are part of the Christmas story that you prepared spiritually. We thank you for the faith that you granted to Joseph to believe in the virgin birth, to believe that this son of Mary was, in fact, you coming down and entering into life with us, that Jesus, this son of Mary, is God. Father, we we thank you for the gift of your son. And uh, Father, we pray that we would have the faith of Joseph to take you at your word, to believe things that are, we will be honest, are difficult to understand, and we probably never will fully understand them. But Father, we uh, pray that we would believe what you tell us. And uh, we thank you for the truth of the virgin birth that protects Christ's uh, sinlessness. Um, Father, we, we thank you that uh, Jesus was able to save us from our sins because he came as one without sin. Father, we cannot save ourselves. All of us are sinners. All we do is add to the debt of our sin day by day. We thank you for Jesus who, being sinless, could offer a sacrifice that was without blemish. We thank you that he was able to fulfill the law, obeying perfectly your law in our place. We thank you that he is everything that we need. And so, Father, our hearts are filled with joy as we think of what you have provided for us by your grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand in.